there's been days where I've just been desperately sad. And I feel guilty because I was desperate to get here, desperate to be with Justin again. There's already been so much waiting. It was months and months waiting for the K-1 application to be approved, then maybe a few more for the embassy interview, and then for the move and to finally get married. But now there's more to do. We had $700 left in the bank in our savings, down from like 20 grand. And, you know, I'm calling them and I'm like, I can't meet my rent next month. I'm going to be homeless. Stacey and Dean have laid out just how tough it can be as a resident alien. Welcome back to The Immigrant Fiancé. I'm Dan Gooding, and right now, I'm waiting for that green card. This episode is all about being in limbo and the effects it has on us all going through this process. It's important to be honest and to open up during such a strange time, because realistically, life is in the balance. When you just imagine being ripped away from someone that you love and after you've put in all this effort to move halfway across the world, like it's a very scary situation. It's been almost 10 months since I moved to New York. That means 10 months without work. 10 months not being able to leave the country to go back home and see my family. 10 months not really being a proper resident of anywhere. It's also seven months since we filed my adjustment of status paperwork and only in the past week or so did my advance work permit turn up. So now I can apply for jobs, but I still can't leave the US. And right now, there is no sign of when my green card interview will be. I can't lie to you, it is so, so hard. I knew this would be the situation, but I really didn't think that it would take such a toll. It's similar for Dean. And I just felt like nobody, you know, I didn't have a social security number, can't go home to England and come back into the country, I can't get a job, I just felt like nobody here, I just felt like invisible, and I got really down for a period actually, it was really tough. A bit of a bleak opening to an episode, right? Well, I'm not going to apologise because I want to show you the reality of waiting for adjustment of status. And it's something that others heading here know is coming. There's going to be quite a while where you can't work because you have to go get married, file for the adjustment of status, which um, I don't think anyone really has a solid lead time on that right now. (laughs) Anywhere from maybe four to 11 months is what I'm seeing on, on the internet. So that uncertainty, I think, might be quite difficult. And I'm trying to think of things that I can do and ways that I can spend that time. Peter, who we met in series one, giving us a really helpful summary of what's happened. You move to the US on your K-1 visa, you get married within 90 days, as we've talked about many times before, you fill out more paperwork, as we discussed a couple of episodes ago, and then, well, then what? Surely it can't be too long. My family, I felt like every time I spoke to them, they are like, oh, have you got the work permit? Yeah, have you got the work I'm like, I don't know. Like, I just don't know how long it's going to take. And I think my dad seemed to think it was going to just be there in like, in a couple of weeks or something. There's Charlie talking about the question probably all of us get asked by friends and family every time we speak to them. When will you be able to travel? When are you going to get the green card? Can you work yet? Any news? Believe me, when I know, you will know. Here's a familiar voice. Yeah, my mum and nan are like that. They always, like my nan yesterday, she did that. She's like, oh, when are you going to get your green card? And I was just like, I don't know. And she's like, how can you not know? I said, trust me. I don't know. <laughs> you know, you just have, I mean, you can only, I, you, I've had a guess. And I was thinking, you know, before I got the FRA, I thought, oh, I'll be done by 
you know, April, May. And now I've got that and my deadline for that's like June 6th. So I think they're going to make me wait to review it until June 6th and then probably won't have an interview till July, August. So I said to my, you know, my mum, I don't think I'm going to be done till like August, September. And that's like, you know, nearly a year I would waited and the summer's then more or less done. And then you, then it, you have to find a job and finish everything off, change your name on stuff. So it never really ends. That's Kirsty, of course. And that is the weird thing. You know that there is more to come, but once you send off your paperwork, there isn't really anything you can do. It could be a few months or it could be far, far longer before you see movement on your case. As we heard in the last episode with immigration lawyer Charles Cook, there doesn't seem to be a rhyme or reason as to when USCIS gets to you. It varies by state and you could have your biometrics appointment very soon after applying or it could be several months. And the same goes for your green card interview or you might not get an interview at all and just be approved. So there isn't much point going off estimates you see online of about six months or so. Last series, we met Stacy, who now works as an immigration consultant. She went through the adjustment of status process herself and told me it really does feel like your life is in the balance. There's two pathways. You're either going to stay and you're going to get your green card or you're going to get deported. <laughs> like, and, and that's the thing. You're, it's a risk of your entire livelihood. And when you just imagine being ripped away from someone that you love and after you've put in all this effort to move halfway across the world, like it's a very scary situation. And it's not kind of, I guess, made any better by the delays that are caused. And then also everyone's going through the same thing. So your support system can be very negative and it's very, you know, like misery loves company type of thing. And somehow you need to try and make peace with that, which seems crazy. But as I said, there isn't much you can do at all other than wait and figure out how to use this free time. Here's Peter and Charlie again. I just feel like there's a pressure to be productive in society. And I think we felt that during the first lockdown, the whole world felt, you know, we were being asked, what are you doing? And if if you were on furlough or you weren't working, like, what are you doing? Like, I learned to code. So maybe I'll learn to code. I don't know. (laughs) But I definitely need to learn to drive because I failed my driving test in the UK uh, in October. And where it's, you know, it's nice to have if you live near London. It's not absolutely necessary in the same way that it is in California. So that's something I'm going to have to do and something to work on when I'm out there. I really hate not working. And as soon as I hit 16 back home, I was like, my dad was like, straight, straight into work you go. And uh, so although from 16 to now, I've been working and then come here and then it's like, well, now you just kind of have to sit and twiddle your thumbs you know so that's been really difficult and it was made even worse by like you say like the fact that it's just an unknown amount of time like if there was like a set amount of time it might be a little bit easier but um initially when we were looking at like the time frames it was saying like one to two years for adjustment of status yeah one to two years Thankfully, things do seem to be speeding up again. Charlie actually had his green card interview in the spring and is now able to travel and work again after moving in the summer of 2021. But however fast or slow the time frame, it can have a big effect on you. For me, I moved to one of the greatest cities in the world, so having this time to get used to living in NYC, exploring and taking photos as I love to do, well, that has been great but I don't have income or a huge amount of savings. I'm reliant on my husband to provide for us both, so my options are not unlimited. 
And besides, I like structure and having to figure out what I'm doing each and every day, well, the novelty soon wears off, I can tell you. Kirsty felt similarly. I think I found it easy at first because when it, I first got here in the summer, yeah, the weather was hot, the kids were off school and obviously my father-in-law works in school so he had all that time off as well. So he was like taking me places, showing me things. So that was nice. Then as soon as they started school and everything, it was just, oh, you're on your own now. <laughs> and it was very tough to just find things to do, not like socialising really. And it's just like, you know, where do I go? And there's only so many hobbies you can do in the house or find things to do. And there's only so much tidying you can think to do. And you know, not everyone wants to go for a walk on the beach every single day. You know, it gets it gets boring after a while. So, yeah, it's kind of hard now. I think now so much time has passed. And when it was winter, that was really tough being dark and cold because you can't do anything. So, yeah, it's definitely tough. But I'm just hoping that, oh, hoping that, you know, some people post their FREs off and they get like a notification up within a week or two. So I'm hoping I'm one of the lucky ones because I haven't been so far <laughs> with all of this. It's just... Oh, it's taken so long. Time's passed so quickly as well. For Dean, who is a nurse, it was a huge change moving to California with his partner, who serves in the military. I was working crazy hours before I came here, so it was a huge shock for me. I've always, I've been a nurse for like 14 years altogether, including my training, and it's a big part of my life. I absolutely adore my job, even through the shitty pandemic. I just love it. And so to come here was a bit of a, like dropping the ocean for me like I just felt lost so to fill my time I suppose to begin with I got a bit down and I kind of got in a slump and just sat and watched Netflix all day and that soon got on top of me as well I was like god and then I'd sit on social media all day and I remember my phone saying your your average screen time today is like something ridiculous like 10,000 hours so then I thought, you know, I need to put some efforts into myself here or I'm going to be so unhappy. So I just started getting out and about walking, going to, luckily, and not everyone's got this, but literally across from my house, we've got a, a gym and a swimming pool. It's, it's military housing. So go to the gym, go for a swim. And then I adopted a dog. So I go out walking with him. Again, not everyone's got these opportunities or, you know, they can't do all these things. But I'd just say find a hobby that my hobby is I like to go and I like to run and I like to go walking and hiking and we live near the beach so I can I'm lucky I can walk to the beach so I just go walk down to the beach but it's finding something that just makes you happy and being near the beach and the ocean makes me happy and we live next to the airport and there's a bit of an aviation geek that's heaven for me. Well I can absolutely relate to both Kirsty and Dean. During these months of waiting, I have had super productive days. I've gone out and explored new neighbourhoods. I took a photography course, caught up with friends back home and new ones here. I look after the apartment whilst David works. But then I've had days feeling so very lost, untethered by a regular work schedule and wishing so desperately to get home. I have lost two grandparents, my granddads, since moving here. One extremely suddenly, and I thought I would be able to see him when I was allowed to travel again, and instead, I couldn't even get to his funeral. That has honestly been so painful, and now, my sister is just a few weeks away from giving birth to her first child, my nephew, and I don't think I'll be able to meet him just yet, either. Why can't I just go home? Because it could be seen as me abandoning my application for the green card. It's as simple as that. Here's Dean again. There's been days where I've just been desperately sad. 
and I feel guilty because I was desperate to get here, desperate to be with Justin again. And then I got here, and part of me is not desperate to be back in the UK, but desperate to... I feel like I lost myself a little bit, and a part of me, because my job is such a big part of my life. And the job part is tough, because to be a nurse here, my training, because it was quite a while ago, and I'm looking at needing to probably go back to university to do some courses here, which is going to cost thousands of dollars, which might not be an option. So there's that to consider. You know, not your job in the UK is not always going to be something you can do here easily. This system really can lead to desperate times, as Stacey explained to me. Emotionally, it really took a big toll was the biggest thing was, you know, I remember a lot of nights just sitting, feeling desperate to get a job and to work. And especially, you know, because my husband was still recovering. So we got down to a situation where um, I requested an expedite for my employment authorization document. And it had been 60 days and I'd been calling them every single day. And we had $700 left in the bank in our savings down from like 20 grand. And, you know, I'm calling them. And I'm like, I can't meet my rent next month. I'm going to be homeless. Like, I need you to help me. And it was just such a helpless situation. And I couldn't get a response out of them for 60 days. And I had to get the Congress person involved. And then finally, I got an approval. But it, it really wasn't when we, we weren't in a really desperate and dire situation. And I think a lot of people face that same thing. And that's probably the biggest part of the application. Because once you start working, I mean, your life just goes on as normal. You work, you do your normal activities and then all of a sudden an interview notice turns up in the mail and suddenly you've got four weeks to prepare this while you're trying to work a full-time job and all of that but you know life just doesn't slow down and stop and there's no monetary strain and it's a little bit better Um, but that first part of that process that's really the hardest part. Last year I was so looking forward to a break from working but then that is the reality no new income for you even if your partner your spouse is able to provide for you as they have to attest in your adjustment of status application and even if they can look after you it doesn't mean it's just going to be simple. I think a lot of people think it's going to be so easy and you wait so long to move anyway so you think everything will settle and fall into place and it's it's not as easy as it sounds <laughs> um they're not working for so long and just not being able to like have your own kind of freedom you know just to sort anything out just and you whenever you call anywhere to try and figure things out you think you're getting somewhere and then you get told no and then you have to ring somewhere else because you know it's not just the social security you got to do that and then it's bank accounts and then you know if your husband wants to add you to their credit cards or anything try and help you build credit up you've got to sort that out and the health insurance was a nightmare for me to figure out and it just never kind of really ends now it may be that for you if you're a k1 visa holder or now applying for your adjustment of status that this time it doesn't affect you in this way it may well be that your case is processed super quickly and that is honestly the dream but i do think it is important to acknowledge such a huge life change and Dean put it so well to me. Everybody leaves a lot behind, whether that be a job, friends or a house or my 33 years of my life, I've lived in the same place. So everything's there. And leaving for me, I left, you know, I've got two brothers and one of them's not well and been going through some treatment. My mum and dad have had some things going on. You know, there's a lot going on there that I want to be back at home for. So it's easy to then want to be there desperately as well. But I felt so guilty about that for Justin because 
you know, he could tell that I was missing home. But I think it's a natural feeling to go through and you shouldn't feel guilty for it. I think it's, everybody goes through it. And then, all of a sudden, things will start moving again. At some random point, you'll get an email that action has been taken on your case. Maybe your work card has been approved or your green card interview has been scheduled. And then life changes once again all around that. We'll talk about the next steps, including biometrics and interviews in the next few episodes. I want to thank Peter, Charlie, Stacey, Kirsty, and Dean for being so open with me and all of you. Hopefully this episode is in some ways reassuring that you are not alone on this journey. Others will feel the same and I really encourage you to join a Facebook group for the K1 or AOS so you have some company and encouragement. And I'll be with you still for the next steps as Immigrant Fiancés. As ever, give us a follow on Twitter and Instagram at Immigrant Fiancé. I'll talk to you soon.